Hi and welcome to episode 12 of the Energy Mix. Reason for the protest noises at the start of this episode rather than our normal intro music is because spring and summer in London this year have been rife with protest, in particular around climate change, and that is one of the themes of the episode today. Today we're interviewing someone who knows a little about these activist groups. Our guest is Steve Gladman. Steve is a veteran of the renewables industry in the UK. Steve has recently launched his own business, organising industry events for people working in the uh, renewables industry in the UK. I'd hope to have someone from a group known as Extinction Rebellion along for the conversation with Steve. Unfortunately, that person wasn't able to make it ultimately to the to the podcast recording. So Steve and I ended up discussing the group somewhat as two outsiders, Extinction Rebellion. For those who may not be aware, is a climate activism group which was created in October last year. Subsequent to that, has organised extremely public protests in central London uh, in Easter this year, areas around Marble Arch and Oxford Circus, which are the most important shopping and retail areas of the UK, were shut down for about a week by large-scale protests, which included uh, speeches and demonstrations like you'd traditionally expect, but also uh, music, um, pageantry of sorts, um, parades and so on. It was um, clearly a type of protest which isn't just come out of, of a sort of standard textbook of demonstrations and protests. And clearly was intended to attract people from a range of backgrounds. Somewhat effective though, uh, given that climate once again hit the headlines and may have been a motivating factor in Theresa May legislating uh, that the UK should become a net zero uh, carbon emissions economy by 2050 as almost her, her last act as Prime Minister. Given that act passing Parliament and a recent report by the Committee on Climate Change outlining the pathway to net zero by 2050, it's clear that citizen engagement is a really huge, huge piece of the pathway towards uh, net zero, in particular because further decarbonisation of the UK and other modern economies involves changing parts of society and the economy that require lifestyle changes, workplace changes, urban area changes, which uh, will require the public on side. And so citizen engagement is a huge part of, of achieving net zero. And it was with that spirit and in that context that Steve and I spoke. So please enjoy my interview with Steve Gladman. Thank you. Hi and welcome to The Energy Mix. I'm Barnaby Smeaton and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Steve Gladman. Steve was originally an equity partner in an air conditioning and mechanical services contractor based in Surrey. Business employed 37 staff, turned over £8 million profitably and was growing with um, clients such as Sky, BBC and Sony Ericsson. Having sold the business, Steve started working in the solar PV industry and has never looked back. Working in sales, he, he worked for Canadian Solar, Jinko Solar, lots and lots of companies with the words solar and or green in their name. Hurrah! Um, and just this month he started his own company, Energy Connectors, which he hopes will yes. continue the unprecedented and unpaid success <laughs> of his business networking groups, Energy Networks, and women powering smart energy. And I, I had uh, the great pleasure of, of attending quite a few of Steve's events. 
And you're coming to the Women Powering Smart Energy next. Even though I'm not a woman. Well, I, I, I attend every one. Um, People I think mean, I'm on the pool, but I'm not. I'm just there because I, I've organised it. Yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could try, it, I could try to put on some makeup and a dress, but <laughs> don't I do think, that. Don't I, do that. I, I think, I think you want people to come back to future yes. events. Managing to persuade some amazing speakers with his charm rather than money, mm. of which I'm. I can absolutely attest to, to the charm. The money side, I'm not sure. He organised two conference events during and as part of the Mayor of London's climate, uh, London Climate Action Week. And in February, he organised a hugely successful renewable energy opportunities in Argentina conference, which attracted no less than the Argentine ambassador to the UK, the UK's trade envoy to Argentina, and the Argentine... Mm. Minister for Energy, Steve. That was all brown envelopes, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> Not really. No, sorry, I'd be serious. No, that, that, that was... Brown envelopes full of yerba mate. Full of... Which absolutely. if you've never tried, um, absolutely. you absolutely should. I, I tried it the first time a few weeks ago and loved yeah. it. Well, I'll, I'll make a note. Yeah, ice, ice cold as well as hot. It's, mm. it's delicious. Anyway, Wonderful. Um, lovely to have you on the podcast, Steve. Pleasure to be here. I was, uh, I was hoping to be joined by somebody else that was going to represent XR. Unfortunately, she uh, couldn't make it. But I'm here. I'm all yours. We can crack on. Yes, absolutely. But don't expect too much. I would hasten to remind our listeners oh. that Steve, Steve is... Um, Mad as a box of frogs. Steve is, uh, Steve is all too modest about, um, about his achievements. I moved to London about four years ago mm-hmm. with with the hopes of, of getting involved in in uh, the renewables industry in the UK and started attending these um, um, uh, energy network drink events which uh, have been fantastic enjoy them so Thank much you. Steve Steve is is the face of them <clears throat> and um, uh, it was such a wonderful way to get to know people in the industry make contacts and so on so I guess I met Steve about two years ago. Mm. I believe it was two years ago, May. It was the same day as um, as the general election that Theresa May called. Um, I, I arranged the event before she called the general election, um, but we all ended up in a in a basement bar on a day like this. It was really hot, yeah. if you remember. Yeah. And we all ended up in a basement bar in Hedden Street yeah. uh, in Momo's. And we had Abbe Kazim there, he was drunk. Uh, no, scratch that. Um, Lizzie Reed from Bird and Bird. We had oh a number of people there, who who have given you brown paper envelopes, not to mention their names. No, I'm not going to mention their names ever again. But I mean, I just had to bring that up because from day one we attracted some some key players yep. in the industry, and we had a great night. And uh, from that we've sort of um, grown it, and now we're doing. I say we and me, we're doing conferences, we're doing, we're, we're trying to get different people involved in the discussion, if you like, um, because there's a lot to talk about, you know, the, uh, the renewable energy industry in the UK for the last four, three, four years has been pretty quiet now since mm-hmm. 2015, that was mm-hmm. the last hurrah, mm-hmm. um, Amber Rudd got rid of pretty much everything and um, it's been battling to, to survive on its own two feet, um, which is not easy. A lot of people lost their jobs. I've lost mine on a number of occasions, hence now working for myself. Um, so I can find out if I'm gonna sack myself soon or not. Um, but <laughs> um, 
it's it's a great industry. Lots of very interesting people in there, and um, you know, I just wanted to bring them together every few months, mm -hmm. uh, and it's worked really well. Yeah, and I think, as you say, as you say, the the it's it's only recently changed with. Um, the last couple of years of price reductions in equipment, but for a long time, the fortunes of the renewable industry in this country or in, or in mm. many other countries, Australia is another example, mm. was tied to how favourable government yeah. at the time viewed the industry. <clears throat> and so almost even as a survivors group, which was what, when I left Sydney, the yeah. renewables drinks equivalent was like in the sense of we had a PM who was, who was saying things like, uh, coal is good for humanity yes. and that kind of stuff. So as, as a way of, of, of just morale and people, people yeah. getting to know people um, in the industry, it, I think it's a great... A great I think it helps. You, you, I think a lot of people come for, for one evening and then never turn up again. Um, and the problem, or at least the key to building up relationships with people is to continue to meet them. Mm -hmm is to, you know, you're not going to meet somebody on night one and then it's all going to fall into place and, yeah. you know, it, it, it's that building up, gradual build up of a, a relationship and a bit of a trust. Um, people get to know you, they, they get to know what you are, where you're coming from and that's where it's worked. And uh, I set up the Women Powering Smart Energy because more and more women weren't coming. Uh, after a while, the few energy networks things or grid connectors as it was um, started to come along, and then they decided that there were too many men in grey suits, really, sort of coming out of the office, drinking probably too many uh, tequilas, and uh, I, you know it didn't appeal to them. So I thought, you know, there's there's so many brilliant women in our industry yep. that um, maybe let's try doing a very similar thing, but for them, mm -hmm. and that's worked amazingly well. Yeah. You know, um, a, a much more diverse uh, um, mix of, of people from different uh, parts of the industry, uh, very senior level women will attend, whereas with men, um, it's hit and miss. But uh, with the women powering smart energy, there are always um, sort of high level C-suite women attending mm -hmm. um, and it's brilliant I mean I really enjoy those because because it's such a relaxed atmosphere mm -hmm. but anyway the whole thing uh, the energy networks the women Paris smart energy has really worked um, and that's led on to doing some conferences and getting some amazing speakers which is for me just uh, just brilliant yep you know yep Gladman phones up or emails typically uh, and with dyslexia, emailing is um, not doesn't always make sense, um, as as many people will know. Um, but uh, I, I've just been amazed at the amount of people that have said, "Yeah, I will speak yep. uh, at your conference yep. for no money, yep. just for the love of it, just yep. for you, Steve." Yep. And I feel very humble about that. Yeah, the recent um, climate conference you organised um, a few weeks ago was fantastic. Um, for the listeners' benefit, this was a, a conference organised um, in a, at least a East London Law Firm's office uh, with some fantastic speakers. Um, it was a Greens MP who spoke. Um, there was well, the co-leader of the Green Party, yeah. Jonathan Bartley. Okay, there we go. I mean, you know, um, yeah. the co-leader, him yeah. and... Anyway... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and, um, 
and Alison Green. Um, Alison Green of Scientist Warning, XR, X, um, Pro Vice Chancellor at Arden University, yeah. gave up her job to concentrate yeah. on being an activist. And that word activist is uh, immediately conjures up uh, things an unemployed 21-year-old. Exactly. Yeah, who, yeah, or an unemployed 60-year-old, which uh, could have been me um, had I not started my own company. But um, yeah, abs absolutely, for sure. As soon as the media apply the term activist, uh, it sounds wrong. Yeah. It just sounds wrong. In actual fact, you know, obviously somebody like Alison and lots of people like her are hugely intelligent intellectuals fearful for what's going on for their family and their children uh, and for themselves and for humanity and um, I, I, I just get very disappointed with the way the media tends to spin it um, because it is a huge problem it's not an easy fix we mm. all know that um, everybody that's doing something is doing something good mm -hmm. Even if it's BP, dare I say it, let's not mention names. But, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a big steamer to, to turn and change course, you know. I think Alison's speech uh, struck me because uh, her, her background being psychology, she was quite interested in the behavioural change uh, aspect of it. And Steve and I had a, had a chat before we started recording and I mentioned that in the podcast, Andrew and I have focused quite a lot on infrastructure and technology. We're often quoting a news story where some new gizmo is being invented. And I, I, technology wizardry is only one piece of getting to net zero. And, and the thing that struck me in the recent Committee on Climate Change's report is, is how important behavioural change will be. And uh, that decarbonisation from now on means touching people's lives in a way that that changes things and might be uncomfortable and so the psychological aspect of that is huge because because sure. they need to um understand they need to be involved uh feel that that they understand why you know um ultimately policy makers need to be voted in to deliver on those and so the voters mm. need to understand the whys mm. so i think allison's talk on the behavioral side um the psychological side of of, um, of, of it was really fascinating. I guess um, my question for, for you would be um, um, your thoughts on, on, on how Extinction Rebellion might transition from protests and activism to raise awareness through to um, behavioral change. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's a very difficult question to answer, however, We've got to look at Extinction Rebellion's lifespan so far. You know, it, they started in October last year. Mm -hmm. So they're very new, but already they've achieved huge publicity, uh, a huge following uh, from people that are worried about climate mm -hmm. change. Uh, and they are still evolving and forming um, external branches to XR. Mm -hmm. um, it comes from a, a very emotional place, um, but you know they're setting up a business unit. Um, they're setting up um, a transition lab, if you like. Um, mm -hmm. They're they're looking at engaging with 
investors, politicians. It's uh, its support is actually bringing uh, the subject of climate change to the politicians at the moment. I don't believe they are doing anything particularly differently on their declared uh, climate emergency. Um, why? Why is that? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's it's uh, they're placating, um, but they're not really. Nothing's going to happen in a month. Yeah. You know, nothing's going to change in a month. We've got Brexit. We've got you know internal fighting in the Tory Party. We're going to have a new leader of the Tory Party and a new Prime Minister announced tomorrow. I believe mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's likely to be Boris Johnson. <coughs> Yeah, and um, oh, we don't like that. I mean, well, we we don't like it. I I don't like it. But w- what I mean is, we don't like it because it, it takes the attention away of the declared climate emergency. Mm. So they've declared it a month or go, a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, First developed economy to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, great. Um, but 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 then what? Um, but then what? So and that's the problem. So the, yeah, um, what 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 we what what we see what what I what I see I guess from 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 where where I sit is is so much chaos in government um, in terms of one part of Whitehall legislating to achieve net zero by twenty fifty and other parts of Whitehall stymieing renewable energy in every possible way yeah, so you can't absolutely. get a, an onshore wind farm um, yeah. consented. Um, another good example would be the targeted charging review, which is thwarted um, or delayed, severely delayed um, investment in behind the meter batteries mm-hmm. for sure, because mm-hmm. people don't know what the what the char- the, sure. the the the, the um, financial charge landscape of, of, of energy will be. So, um, even just some sort of level of synchronisation across government would be helpful. It would be hugely helpful, and we're not we're not getting that at the moment. We haven't had it for a long time, and there are many in government uh, that are deciding on policy that really don't believe climate change is an issue, mm. um, or an urgent one, or an urgent and one. It doesn't for sure. seem like Boris thinks like that. Right? No, I, I think Boris is. Uh, I think the problem is, you know, I, I grew up when I was, uh, you know, quite radical in my teens. Um, and I was a member of CND, and that's mm-hmm. that's yep. what really bothered yep. me at the time. And it mobilised huge amounts of people. You know, I remember going on a on a rally from Embankment through to Hyde Park, and the organisers, CND, reckon there was two hundred and fifty thousand people on that march, and I was proud to be one of them. And but we had real politicians in comparison to what we have today. We have short-term career politicians. They, they want to get in, make a name for themselves, get out, uh, and that's it. You know, we, we, they don't seem to be... I mean, Boris Johnson doesn't seem to be very close to his principles. If he has any, um, he seems to just change with, you know, with the wind. Mm. Um, you know, when I, when I went on that rally, you know, back in Hyde Park, we had... You know, Michael Foote and, yep. and Tony Benn yep. and, and all Big these names. sort of statesman-like yeah. politicians, whether you agreed with their political views or not, they were they were to be respected. Mm. Um, 
and, and, and politics then seemed to mean something. It meant something to me, being, mm. you know, 1920, in 1979. Uh, now I look at politics now and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's whatever they say Celebrity today. contest as it, well. It's, it's almost, it's yeah. almost like that. You know, uh, Michael Gove a couple of years ago saying, look, you know, we're going to ban diesel and petrol cars by 2040. He had no plans for that. You know, there was nothing in place to say how we are going to recycle lithium-ion car batteries, what we're going to do to the car industry in taking away all those jobs from making mm. ICE engines. Mm. Um, no plan at all. It was just a soundbite, mm. and it was to placate people, and it sort of worked. Mm. But since then, we don't really hear about it. Mm. I don't know how uh, electric vehicle sales are doing at the moment in the UK. It seems to have gone out of the newspapers, so mm. we don't talk about it as much um, but still they're being driven uh, all electric cars are being charged pretty much by let's be honest fossil fuel mm. as they plug in to get recharged and mm. that's not what that's not what we want mm. um, but you know that's another thing so um, there's going to be a, a real sea change politics today is different to what it was you, you know 40 years ago mm. there's no doubt about it things Things do change, but I'm not sure if it's changed for the better. Mm. Um, our whole way of life has changed, uh, and yet we're still relying on the old political system, the old economic system. And, you know, the economics of today are so different. They should be different. Um, but we're still measuring everything on GDP. Mm. We're not measuring anything on well-being. There's a lot of people getting left behind. And there's a lot of people that are in fuel poverty. Mm. Um, all of these, all of these things matter mm. and need to be changed somehow. So I think XR are saying to everybody that they're, they're the voice of the general citizen, if you like. They're saying we've had enough. We, we know things can change. We're not quite sure how they need to change just yet because we only formed in October, and we, we don't have a, a, a hierarchy. Paper. Yeah, There's so like we, we've got to work white together. Paper on how to get to net but, zero by twenty. But the key thing from Alison that I've I've got from her is we need to collaborate. We don't need this them and us. Mm. We don't need this left wing and right wing. We don't need this anti capitalist and and capitalist attitude anymore. You know that that's that's for history. So um, XR has a plan to reach out to the Tories. I think XR have a plan to reach out to anybody that understands and will voice the problems that we all face. Uh, whether they're Tory, whether they're Labour, whether they're Liberal, uh, whether they're Green Party, you know, it, it doesn't matter. We are facing a crisis, an emergency uh, on climate change, and something has got to give. Mm. We cannot carry on business as usual, which is a phrase which Alison uses a lot and, and other people in, yeah. in the media use a lot. We can't do that. What do we do to change that? I don't know. I mean, I read about oil, big oil majors, you know, pumping in billions of dollars into new um, uh, oil oil fields that are gonna, they found out off Azerbaijan or, or Canada or the Gulf of Mexico or wherever it is. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm reading that these... these um, Installations won't become, uh, won't pr produce 
until maybe 2025. And for, for their, um, to get a return on their investment, you know, that, that oil field has got to produce for at least sort of 20 to 30 years, depending on the mm. cost. And, and, but, you know, it's got to be producing billions of barrels of oil. Now, you know, when, when half of society is talking about we've got to end, we've got to get net zero by 2050 or as XR say 2025, and yet oil companies are saying, you know, this is going to come on stream 2020 and we've got 30 years after that. It makes no sense. It's, it's, it's a completely, it's an entirely different reality yeah. because it's going very long on yeah. on, a, on a fuel which which we can't keep burning. Which we can't keep burning. Um, and, you know, gas, fracking, you know, gas is... I, I think governments think, look, we'll, we'll phase... You know, it's, it's follow the money, isn't it? You know, it's, it's all about the money. How do we phase out oil when we're all reliant on it at the moment? Mm. Uh, when so much money is generated from it, when the UK government supports um, oil companies overseas, um, and they do, you know, um, it's I guess it's I guess it's tricky because um, it's tricky because part of the solution is part of the solution will will require that that banks and funds and um, asset owners like the owners of of um, gas and and, and oil um, infrastructure facilities, mm. so on, um, are brought along, um, and I mean that I mean that um, in the sense that um, aviation and shipping, uh, as a sort of integral part of how they work, yeah. rely on liquid fuels. Yeah, um, And we've got an enormous amount of infrastructure to handle liquid fuels. The, the yep. vehicles themselves. So um, perhaps um, one solution is, is is as fast as possible primary research in um, carbon-free liquid fuels. Um, well, we have biofuels. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of, lot of work gone into that. Um, you know, solar, mm, hydrogen fuel cells. I think hydrogen is is a good way forward, and I think it is the future for transportation as well as heating mm. um we we we're talking about lithium-ion batteries at the moment and that's 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 a technology which is being used um in batteries because it works mm. uh, because it's relatively cheap because it's fairly safe but the ecological impact of cobalt of lithium of nickel, of zinc, of graphite, and the processing of that, and the shipping around of that from source to refineries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's not so clean. Mm. But having said that, it's better than gasoline. Mm. Um, I guess. I guess is. Um, I, I read read an article um, um, by a. Um, British energy investor a few weeks ago outlining this uh, kind of maybe not dichotomy but but two different personality types in in mm-hmm. renewable energy industry and one being the sort of wizard who, who feels that with enough time in the lab um, with yeah. enough sort of magic potions and beakers you'll come up <laughs> with 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 
magical uh, technologies that will, will yes. save our bacon. Yeah. And then the other type of personality is the sort of preacher who is, mm-hmm. who is you know, we must lead a, a lifestyle that's more mm. friendly to the climate and so on. Um, I guess, um, I, I guess achieving net zero is probably a mix of both of those things, but, but certainly XR's, um, XR's activism, I think helps to highlight the little things that people can do in their everyday lives, yeah. maybe. Um, but I mean, I, part of the conference that you attended, Barnaby, was, uh, was a speech by Professor Joy Carter yeah. from Winchester University, who was talking about food and food waste. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was listening to her and watching her slides, and she was, she was brilliant in yeah. conveying that information in a really easy to understand and non preaching way um but just changing your diet Mm. can have a huge impact um i guess the and that that certainly makes sense because um you know maybe much more so than the uk in australia we really mm. follow the american urban model yeah where we 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 junked trams um People got rid of their horses. They didn't. They they stopped riding bicycles. Mind you, trams are coming back to Sydney. Yeah. If they could just find the money to keep it going, yeah. and build it. Yeah. Sorry. That's true. That's true. We follow this American urban model where everyone has a car or two and and drives everywhere. Mm. And the result of that is, with an American diet and an American lifestyle and an American urban model, we get American obesity statistics. Yeah. Yep. And and so. I suppose the mentality change of, of um, you know, just having a small car and riding a bike occasionally and walking and those sorts of things are. Um, but I, I think suppose that's part of that um, education chair, and, and yeah. it's okay and that behavioural change aspect of. I think the thing is that that's, but it's it's. Well, I guess my question is um, my question is that. They'll, to an extent, there'll be people that, that adopt that and, and get it. Mm-hmm. And, and you already see that often with the more affluent and more educated people that tend to have lower obesity rates and mm-hmm. eat, eat a better diet and so mm-hmm. on. But the, the type of discussion around scaling back our lifestyle so that the climate is less impacted... I wondered where that, if that could exist in a country that doesn't have an authoritarian government... I think so. I think you know, <laughs> scaling because back, scaling back. It, again, it, it, it's perception, isn't it? it? It all comes down to what we're used to. It's perception and habit, and scaling back on diet. Well, you know, a lot of people on low incomes, and perhaps you know, read the Sun. All power to them. Absolutely not a problem. But you know, they're on a limited budget. They've got to eat the cheapest foods that are in the supermarkets. And the cheapest foods in the supermarket are full of fat, full of carbohydrate, full of, you know, all the things that we shouldn't, we know we shouldn't eat. But these people can't afford a better diet. They need to feel full up because, you know, they're not sure what they're going to eat tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. So they'll eat the quick ready meals and and all the rest of it. You know, so there's a, a social... Uh, science impact on all of that side of it but 
but just to change the way we I mean I go to the supermarket and I and I sort of know what I want to buy and I can't find it so I'm almost forced to buy what's on the shelf well I have no choice but you know searching for for good food um, is not always easy you know salad vegetables in plastic bags blah 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 chemically washed um, behavioral change doesn't need to be so dramatic mm. um, you know we can buy you know when I was a kid we had greengrocers we had butchers on every street corner blah 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 and it was a local thing it was mm. a local community um, you know local communities uh, were sort of de um, demolished because of the, you know the out of town superstores and all the rest mm. of it cheaper prices the prices were cheaper but the food wasn't so great and then it was mass produced and then you know uh, everything looked the same and everything tastes the same um, there's no reason why we can't go back to a more local mm. feel to what we do and to give us a better way of life um, you know so many people live in the city go away to the countryside for the weekend so they can go to a local butcher so they can buy local produce mm. why why don't we do more of that you know mm. um the, a colleague of mine told me about an app in london recently which um allows you to connect with people on your on the same street as you yeah um uh which which is great um it's just um it's just funny that that People did that before smartphones existed by knocking yeah. on someone's door. Yeah, I remember um, uh, half day closing Wednesday. All the shops closed half day Wednesday. Um, God, that's a long time ago. Um, but I think Jonathan Bartley at the conference, the um, the science, the economics, the law conference, Jonathan Bartley said, you know, we don't need to own as much as we own as mm. individuals. We don't, you know, we can share things. We could share a car. Mm. We can... You know, do most of our journeys on a on a bike or a scooter that's using very little. Uh, you know, yeah, I think I think there's definitely a mentality change, generation on generation, in the sense that people in their twenties and thirties these days are comfortable with renting things that perhaps my grandparents' generation would struggle with, like um, not owning a car, uh, using a zip car, or um, um, other things like that. So I suppose that that may be an element of it. I thought the library of things was yeah, really yeah. interesting, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which yeah. for our listeners is a is a concept um, library in in South London where you you you're not checking out books, you're checking out uh, things. So um, instead of buying a, a an electric drill you use once, um, you, yeah. you check it out and use it. So another another innovative sort yeah. of idea. I mean, the, you know, the Green Party have some fantastic ideas, but it does require a huge change in lifestyle yeah. for a lot of people. And that's what we can't get our head around. You know, we are where we are, and we mostly believe that we have to exist and can only exist with the big car, with the big house, with the, you know, mm. the, the, the three or four bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. We don't really need that, not to have a fulfilled life. Or do we? I don't know. I, I, I don't. Yeah, I think, so I guess the, the concern or the thought I had was that I think a proportion of, of society will understand that, um, that, that argument. 
Um, my concern was just um, if in a democracy you have a government that tries to encourage that behaviour change, um, part of it might be the carrot of offering something better. So it might mm -hmm. be mm -hmm. um, it might be that they create um, a, a landscape whereby um, car sharing companies can offer really cheap prices, and so it it, it makes the choice of not owning a car really easy or it might be that public transport improves in rural areas so people don't feel like they need yeah. to own a car living yeah. out in the countryside mm -hmm. um, people are talking at the moment about um, carbon-based import duties and mm -hmm. so on I guess um, the thing that that the thing that is remains to be kind of comprehensively studied is um, how how far could that be taken in a democracy? For example, if if a government got into power and decided that um, um, you know nationally the, the carbon footprint needed to change by people only having um, on average one or two airplane yeah. trips a year, yeah. would they would they be so unpopular and be booted out, and the next government would would go back to business as usual? I suppose that's the maybe the tricky thing about. A democracy in which um, consumers and capital sure. have fairly free choice. Yeah, it's, no, absolutely. It's, and we all enjoy that free choice. Yeah. You know, we it would be so difficult to have that taken away. But you know, I can only so a climate emergency. I don't know what that means exactly. I I, I understand what it means, but I don't know if politicians understand what it means. But I can only go back to an analogy of you know there being a war yeah um and everybody you know 1939 second world war started in september whatever it was um and life for everybody changed overnight and the government decided how much you would eat it would be rationed how much petrol you would get you're encouraged a, to grow vegetables at home yeah so that Britain all of that less all imports. of that yeah but but because we were, you know, it was that sort of, um, that wartime spirit, everybody pulled together. But there was a clear enemy. And I think that's... But there is a clear enemy now. It's... it's, it's but it's not personified by, by, no. by a lunatic Absolutely. leading a government. I suppose that's the, the tricky thing about climate change is um, it's, you know, um, should you choose to travel to places that are the most sensitively affected by it, You'll see it. Um, you you can watch documentary or film and and understand the core sure. science behind sure. it. Um, I, I think I think it's just an but aspect of human psychology that's I tricky. Where where you know um, Germany invaded Poland. Um, there there was there was there was a, a clear enemy, and and, and likewise. Um, likewise, the political will that Russia, the UK, and America needed. To mobilise mm. and, yeah. and and unify, it, it it's that I suppose is a hard That's electoral and psychological yeah. aspect of climate change. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, I, I you know it wasn't a brilliant analogy, but well, you know it, it's sort of similar. Um, and the thing is, you know, I don't. I, we we have to start somewhere. No people, you know, there's a lot of people that live in the UK and globally that won't accept austerity to that point, um, whatever the cost. Hmm. 
Um, and you get to a point where you think, well, you're going to have to make them. You're going to have to make them. Mm. Um, just like, um, just like, for example, you might be a libertarian who's philosophically against any form of taxation. Yeah. But um, if you want to live in the UK and you don't want to be in jail, you have yeah. to accept that exactly. part of the social yeah. contract is is you contribute to. You contribute. Yeah. Um, but you know, again, that's not always fair and balanced, is it? You know, as yeah. we know, there's a lot of. There's big companies that don't games. pay the tax and yeah. they find their loopholes and all the rest of it. But um, so again, we have this, you know, there's what's just and what's unjust and what's fair and what's not fair. And some of the big corporates getting away with things which individuals can't get away with and are punished for where corporates get away with it and are not punished. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a massive situation and problem to deal with. Well, I hope you enjoyed part one of my conversation with Steve Gladman. Steve's next event, for those interested, is on 17th of September at Highline New York Bar and Lounge at Resorts World Birmingham in the NEC. The event coincides with the Solar and Storage Trade Show and is for everyone in the solar and smart energy industry. It's an opportunity to unwind from day one of the trade show and get together with all those that only get the chance to meet up at trade events like this. It includes manufacturers, wholesalers of equipment, developers, asset managers, and of course engineers. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be releasing part two of the conversation with Steve in the next two weeks.